calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and welcome to Guiding Assets, the flagship investment podcast for CFA Institute. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and today I have Dr. Anya Hochberg on the show. Dr. Hochberg is responsible for all multi-asset solutions at Zürcher Cantonal Bank's asset management business. Before joining ZKB in 2020, she spent years at Credit Suisse, where she wore many hats, including Global Head of Economics, CIO for Europe and Switzerland, and Global Head of Products and Sales. With rates backed up, soaring debt loads, and uncertain global economic outlook, real estate influx, and equity markets that have largely shrugged it off, I'm looking forward to hearing how you're translating all this in setting asset mix for ZKB's and balanced portfolios. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. Anya, uh, may I call you Anya? Yes, please do. Anya, could, could you describe, first of all, what your role is at ZKB where you're, and where your research focuses? Yeah, multi-asset portfolios are a crucial part of what actually Swiss clients look for, both from institutional point of view, so we speak pension funds who have to manage money for their future liabilities, but likewise it's a core component for what private people look for in order to manage their wealth. And for many of them, it's a one-stop solution where we can make sure that, first of all, we have our investment proposal in line with their strategy, and secondly, that we can actively manage any upcoming opportunities, being it, well, on the positive side or even risk managing in market like this. So over the last 25 years, and really especially over the last 10 I think you'd agree we've seen a migration away from the traditional 60-40 portfolios, and especially for institutional investors. So what have been the drivers of those changes? And maybe limit your, your reflections up until, say, the end of 2021, because we'll get to the, to the last 18 to 24 months uh, in a second. So before the current regime set in, what were the drivers there? Well, first of all, if you look at the long-term trend to a negative interest rate or lower interest rate at the beginning and negative interest rates um, uh, at the end of that cycle, this has certainly... I would say um, uh, brought the attractivity of fixed income instruments to uh, to a new low, and um, uh, likewise, and it's something which is more relevant for the period as of um, the 2022. We've seen increased correlations, so bonds neither offered an an interesting value, and uh, in addition, brand that diversifying in a portfolio as well. This has certainly impacted m- most of the multi-asset um, portfolios. Yes, you still have opportunities to manage around your equity quota and being long equities was most likely the one of the key calls you had to make in a multi-asset portfolio since monetary policy has become um, the loose. But you're right, things have changed and we actually would claim that um, the mixed portfolio, the 60-40, and I would go even one step further and say, well, it's more than 60-40. You have many more instruments which you actually can bring into a mixed asset portfolio, but the general message stays the same. Bonds are back, and therefore the mixed asset portfolios are back. Yeah, because the the return in interest to bonds has been against you know an interesting trend there, really, where you had a, a pilfering away of fixed income allocation, certainly in in North America here, um, and uh, a movement into private assets, you know, going out the credit curve. I imagine that similar similar things were happening there in in, in Switzerland to sort of that search for yield. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Being long risk also on the credit side is something 
which has been a key strategy over here in Switzerland as well. If you look um, even at the difference between, I would say, a traditionally U.S. investor and an European one, you would still notice that the share of fixed income on an average portfolio would be much higher in a European portfolio. So there is, I would say, something more of a certain risk aversion um, taking place. And this is, of course, something which has made the work in multi-asset portfolios even more difficult over the past. I had a question for you as well. Here in Canada, we have traditionally had a pretty high you know, home country bias. A lot of the my old institutional clients used to have, say, 30% of their overall portfolio would be in Canadian equities, for example, when which would be, you know, say half of their equity allocation when Canada was sort of two to three percent of the of global global markets. Is that is that a, a trend that also persists in in Switzerland? And I, I say that because that 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 trend has been declining in the last sort of five to ten years here, where Canadians have been sort of reallocating their Canadian allocations more into global portfolios. Yeah, well, this might be a reflection, of course, of globalization in, in general, and you could now argue what's going to happen in the next couple of years, given that we observe more trend to deglobalization. It may be. I would say less, um, less joint business cycle. I mean, something which you know the last couple of years had in common was that you had joint monetary policy, actually almost joint at the hip. If people have hiked or lowered interest rates, this has of course influenced the global economic cycle, and therefore maybe the the regional allocation has not been as important. That maybe more some of the sectoral aspects have come to the to the play. However, I would also argue that it very much depends on the, I would say, on the country you have a home bias at. If you look at Switzerland, for instance, this is a, um, a small but a very open country in terms of um, the purchasing manager indicators. You could even argue that the PMI in Switzerland is very telling for the global economy because of the large share of import and export in Switzerland. So Switzerland, yes, you could call it a home bias because you have a focus in your home currency. This is another aspect. It's not just about the global business cycle. It's also about currency developments. And um, if you look at how strongly currencies can move around, having one part of the portfolio where you are not, I would say, depending on, on foreign currency movement is one of the key aspects of the of the home portfolio as well. Okay, let's let's talk about the, the last 18 months or so. And I'm cognizant to say it's too simplistic to talk just about higher rates as a global investor, especially one sitting there in Switzerland. These things are all relative, of course, but can you tell me how the new interest rate regime has affected either your strategic or your tactical asset moves for ZKP clients. And, and maybe before you do that, though, I, I think I feel like I should give a quick explainer for folks who, who don't operate with, in this part of the business, a quick explanation on the, the terminology there. So a client's strategic asset mix is what we call, you know, the written down long-term sort of neutral weighting for things like stocks and bonds. And the tactical mix is how a manager like ZKB or Anya might vary from neutral views, um, that neutral view. So, so if you like the valuation of bonds versus equities at a certain point you might be tactically overweight your strategic mix for for bonds and underweight equities for example so anyway sorry about that i i, I just wanted to sort of provide a quick little explainer in the middle there but uh, how about it on bonds though anya have you been cashing in on those those juicy new yields yeah first of all many thanks for explaining the strategic allocation which is not such an easy topic but you're absolutely right Given the fact that bonds are back, both with regard to the diversifying effects on a portfolio, but also with regard to yields, you could argue that the share of bonds in your portfolio should actually rise to the max. Uh, however, we would argue that it is at the end of the day, it's not just return. What makes a portfolio efficient is the right mix between return and volatility. So actually the risk you're willing to take. And given the current rise in yields, you could say, yeah, the return part is, is okay. Um, you can really like that. But on the other side, bond volatility has increased extremely as well. So 
if you take the overall picture, yes, bones are back. They should have their place in their portfolio. But we have not yet for our strategic allocation brought the bond allocation back to historically unknown um, regions. We are rather smooth in, you know, um, making our move up there. Tactically, you could argue that there is room now for, given that we have passed the five years, uh, the 5% on the 10 years in the U.S., that you could tactically add a bit more. But I would really tell our investors that at the end of the day, it's not just the return pictures, also the volatility. And bond volatility has increased dramatically over the last couple of months. Yeah, I think that's something that you, you, we haven't talked about for a long time until the last two years, right? This idea that bonds actually have volatility and you see, you know, all of 2022 with negative bond returns. And last quarter, I think they were down again as well here in Canada. But uh, um, yeah, I guess looking at it on the the overall efficiency perspective, it's not just a slam dunk to, to, to lock in those those 5% yields and, and call that your return, you know, your, your most optimized return basis. I imagine, you know, given where the short end of the curve is as well, even cash is looking pretty good right now. Well, actually, this is one of the one of the big issues in the fund management industry in general, that if you look at its so-called risk-free rate, which is short-term liquidity, um, the current, I would say, peak in interest rates has certainly provided um, almost an additional um, asset loss. So far, liquidity has been actually, I would say, just, a um, you know, an instrument um, which is available if you would like to buy any other instrument. So you have to have strategic cash in your portfolio to be prepared in case any opportunity would arise or you put your investments into cash in case you wouldn't have that many opportunities. In a way, you were just parking money there. These days, it has actually returned as a, as a real source of, of return here. In some cases, it is already, the interest rate is higher than what you usually have on inflation. So even real interest is back on the agenda. And you really have to think twice of, you know, where to get your return. And therefore, equities compared to the last couple of years are not without any alternatives. And the attractivities of equities, you have to compare them not just with credit um, or with bonds in general, but especially with a risk-free cash rate. And this explains very much why equities at an equity risk premium of not even 3% do not look yet attractive for us. Yeah, one of those alternatives, I imagine, is real estate. And, and I, I do want to get to that in a second here. But I just want to circle back on, on something you mentioned there about currency, because that is a problem somewhat unique to Switzerland in that, that this persistent strength of the Swiss franc is, is, um, gives you different things to think about when you're sitting inside the country there. So what's, what's keeping the franc up and, and how does that affect your asset allocation decisions? Yeah, we are really in a unique position where, especially as a global investor, you work out of a currency which continuously has appreciated. Of course, this continuous appreciation of this Swiss franc is a reflection of today's world, is a reflection of increasing conflict, but it's also a reflection of increasing inflation differentials. This has, especially in the last couple of months, shape, you know, the development of the Swiss franc very, very strongly. Inflation rates in Switzerland have been much lower than they used to be in the US or in, in, in Europe. Um, likewise, you have a political system which is not, or which is one which is very consensus-based. You won't have any harsh or radical political um, decisions um, here. And you have an, well, almost independent central bank, a central bank which still has to look what the Swiss franc um, is doing, but everyone could at least Given the inflationary danger, um, uh, could be of the opinion that the Swiss National Bank is not um, uh, does not intend to weaken the Swiss franc substantially because the strength of the Swiss franc was one of the, um, the key element in keeping inflation rate uh, low. So therefore, a bet on a stronger Swiss franc for many investors 
has been a, a safe bet, and this, of course, has driven the Swiss franc to even uh, lower lows. Well, if any of our listeners out there were in Switzerland like I was this summer, um, they could probably attest to the, the strength of the Swiss franc. I came home feeling a little poorer than I went in, but I, I did have a good time. That's a beautiful country. So let's go back. Let's go back to real estate there. Um, that's another you know theme that keeps reemerging on the show here. Partly because guests bring it up, and partly because I, I live in Vancouver, so it's imprinted on my DNA to talk about it. Um, and Vancouverites listening uh, will will understand what I mean by that. Uh, but w- what is your view on on owning real estate right now and investment portfolios? Maybe I can bring in the, the very specific Swiss view at the beginning. Yes, Swiss. Investors usually, especially on the institutional side, hold quite a large share of um, real estate in their portfolios. Um, it's approximately um, 20%. We won actually an annual um, study on how pension funds in Switzerland are invested here at ZKB. And you can see this is persistently high. It has even reached um, their, their limits. Um, nevertheless, we would argue that, especially if you are in a market where you have the liquidity. So we speak about the indirect equity market compared to the direct one where you just buy, buy houses on the indirect side. Um, we have seen that the increase in interest rate has brought valuations down to a degree where we have already decided to step back in because um, at the end of the day, for the longer term outlook for real estate, especially in Switzerland, we are convinced that there is substantial um, demand, not just from pension um, funds, and there is less offer on the market um, uh, these days. Um, in general, we also argue across the globe that the strong increase in interest um, uh, rates has been dampening the demand for real estate, um, uh, but with the prospects of potential lower rates over the next couple of months, not ne- not not now, not, not here and not today, but over the next couple of months, there would be potential renewed interest in uh, real estate as well. So by indirect, you mean some version of REITs, like real estate investment trusts, publicly traded securities then on real estate? Is that what you mean, Anya? Yeah, in, Swiss, in Switzerland, we implement our real estate view mainly via via um, fund solutions, which are, are traded um, on the exchange. Um, but we could also implement it on a more equity side um, behavior with regard um, to REITs. Here, of course, you have to um, see that REITs do behave slightly more aggressive in their behavior. Um, not just with regard to interest rate, but also with regard to any kind of equity um, uh, correction. But we, as we speak, we are in the middle of such an equity correction, which, of course, at some point when we see, you know, the bottom of it, will also um, bode well then for real estate. So you had a correction to those publicly traded securities like we did in North America. How well have the private valuations followed in terms of like private, private real estate funds, for example? Well, on the private side, you usually have a, have some delay in, in valuations um, here, which of course is something where which can also bring a very positive impact to your portfolio. As you have a smoothening of the volatility there, as people actually not forced to really sell into into falling markets. So um, while this is a process that might um, continue, we would not argue that this is something which you know will overly stretch the real estate market. So I want to change gears for a quick sec here and just. Talk about passive versus active. So we've seen 15 plus years of flows into passive. What's what's your view in terms of what the current outlook means for active managers? Well, actually, I'm one of the of the passionate active um, investors. Um, I do believe, and we call it our our three alpha model, that you can add value for your clients within within good and you know annually reviewed strategic allocation that you have a tactical allocation which encounters risk and um, opportunities in the market and that if you are invested over a longer term horizon, active managers actually can bring value to the 
when we look at more tactical opportunities, so for instance, if you would like to have, I would say, a three-month view more on a Nasdaq, then of course you might might look more for passive instruments than for active one. But I'm personally convinced that what we call the opportunity set in uh, for active investors has rather increased in markets like this. You have more diversion and you have more dispersion, especially in the performance of different um, stocks, um, especially, you know, given that what has, what has, you know, given us support for all equities before, which is, you know, ultra-loose monetary policy is something, you know, which we see less of. And this, of course, brings more the, I would say, the underlying strength of the equity back into the game of the investor. So we really now not just look for more liquidity and liquidity-driven markets, but we look for markets that are actually driven by earnings and especially earnings quality. And are there any other trends that you're seeing or applying in, in client multi-asset portfolios? Well, one one trend certainly is for us, and this is a um, uh, high, high conviction and I would say even investment philosophy. Uh, one is that we are a strong believer of sustainable portfolios, sustainable portfolios to a degree where we would say it's more than just ESG and just making sure that you have your risk um, uh, you know, um, analyzed in a decent um, way. It's also looking to find out you know, who actually will profit from from um, the sustainability trend or who is actually providing solutions to our sustainability challenges. Um, this is something which, you know, we try to integrate in our portfolios and you can actually do that over a different kind of asset class. That could be on the on the bond side, that could be, of course, on the equity side where you can add the classic, I would say, engagement and, and, and stewardship activities as well. And not to forget, you also have opportunities in I would say in the private market side, on the private equity side, where you can focus on on solutions that actually address sustainability challenges as well. And I think this has been actually a demand-driven trend as well within Switzerland, right? I think you, when we talked before, you mentioned that there was, this is something that clients are asking for is more of these sustainable development goals, SDG-focused investment solutions. Yeah, a couple of aspects to that. Certainly, it's, it's demand-driven. Clients ask for it. You might even observe a difference between institutional investors who have still more a bit of a risk focus compared to private investors, which really like to see the impact of their investment. This is one aspect. The other aspect, of course, is very much the European, and that includes the Swiss regulatory um, landscape. But by the at least by the very same token for us, it's part of how to create alpha. So it's not just a thematic um, idea. It's a strong belief that over the medium to longer term. And of course, you can have episodes where that doesn't work. This is, you know, the case with every investment style. But over the longer term, we are convinced that if you pick the right companies, also, you know, including your sustainability analysis, this will be profitable for the portfolio. Something you're talking about that not many others are is the risk of a Europe in 2011 style debt crisis in the U.S. So we saw last week that the U.S. government's debt payments doubled in fiscal 23 versus two years prior. So how sustainable, in your view, is the U.S. debt load and what factors could push it into crisis mode? Well, it's our task as part of our fiduciary duty to make sure that we not just look at the opportunities but also at risk. So this is part of our strategic asset allocation decision to um, have an, a matrix of events that have a certain, I would say, probability and a certain uh, impact. The probability of such an event might not be as um, high, but if it would happen, and this is you know, the case with terrorists, as always, it would have a severe um, impact to the to the broad economy. And we have seen, um, for instance, if you take the example of 2011 of the Eurozone 
debt crisis. This is something that as soon as it is in the focus of investors can reach a certain, I would say, degree of, of momentum here as well. And given the fact that we have a strong increase in interest rates uh, in US, the question of how long you can actually, um, or you are able to, to finance the debt has come back to the to the um, investor's interest. And uh, I would say an additional factor is foreign investors. Um, we, we have known already over the last couple of years that you see a certain rebalancing on the Chinese side, but given you know new monetary policy events also in Japan, um, you could argue that there is a bit of repatriation also on the Japanese side, also strongholders of US treasuries. And this actually could um, bring a picture that you know people ask for more yield in order to hold um, U.S. treasuries, and this is certainly an increase in risk premium. I wouldn't call it an, an, a spiral that has started yet. Um, uh, this is certainly not the case. And, uh, you know, you, you can issue money in the strongest or in the, in the, the world's largest currency, put it, put it that way. And this, of course, is very helpful. And you still have, you know, lots of interest especially at the current um, level. But the very fact that you have to pay more in order to convince investors to take your debt is certainly something that you have to keep in mind, especially also given the current budget dynamics in the U.S. So we've come to the, the near the end of our chat today, Anya, and I, I'll just ask you our, our traditional two-part question here. What was your first job in the industry? And if you could go back and take yourself for coffee on your first day, what key piece of advice would you offer yourself? Oh, that's a very difficult um, one. I mean, if I would, I would take my first job in the or my my first day in the in the, in the industry. I would I would I would rather take my first job at all because I you know wanted to to spend my business life in academia. Actually, I was lecturing economics and financial um, economics at the University of Wales in the UK. And um, what advice would I give me? I would uh, tell myself, well, go first into the real world, try to find out how theory works in practice, and then try to teach your students. Um, something that's what I've done um, uh, now, and maybe I go back at some point to university. I've been speaking today with Dr. Anya Hochberg, head of multi asset solutions at ZKB, who joined me today from Zurich. It was great chatting with you today, Anya. Thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and this has been Guiding Assets. <laughs>